Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 102, Are We All Not Beggars? Hi friends, how are ya? Let's hang out, shall we? And let's talk about some good stuff. Let's put away all of our worries and our insecurities and let's just learn about our true selves. That's how I see the words of King Benjamin. It's a crash course or a cheat sheet in how to do human well. How to do it optimally. Before we move on to chapter 4, let's just take a look back at the highlights of King Benjamin's address. Remember, he begins by requesting that the people not think of him more than a mortal man who is subject to all manner of infirmities in body and in mind. Yet through the matchless power of the Lord and Benjamin's desire to serve his people with all his might, mind, and strength, that combination or that partnership It has blessed the lives of the Nephites and the descendants of Zarahemla. So what do I take away from this? We are all doing mortality. We are all exposed to the infirmities of body and mind. Yet there is a way to rise above them. We don't need to be held down by these infirmities. And despite the infirmities that we do experience, and we all experience different ones, With our diligence and our vision coupled with the matchless power of the Lord, we can accomplish great things. The people experienced great blessings because they lived under the reign of a king who, though a mortal man, was righteous, he was benevolent, and he was a man of God. He strived to maintain their liberties, both earthly and spiritually. He taught them the commandments of God. He served them by laboring with his own hands so that his people wouldn't be bothered and weighed down with taxes. Or in other words, they wouldn't have to impart of their substance to support a king with their grain or their livestock or their gold and silver. He worked himself. And though he did this because he loved his people and he didn't want them to suffer, he served them, in fact. He especially did this Because he loved God. For when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. Pleaded with the people to serve one another. He knew how grateful the people felt towards him. That they appreciated the service that he had given them. But he directed them to give thanks to God, who is the giver of all good gifts. For no matter how much we serve God and thank him for everything that we have, We will always be unprofitable servants to him, for he is the kind of God that will immediately bless us for our obedience. All good gifts come from him, even the air that we breathe that keeps us alive is given to us by him. And being in his debt, though, it's a good thing. It is the way to a blessed and a happy state. By keeping his commandments, we will be blessed in all things, both temporally and spiritually. And by holding out faithful to the very end, we will be received into heaven 
and will dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Those are our goals. That's what we're striving for. And Benjamin teaches his people all of these things, while at the same time, he's conferring the kingdom upon his good son, Mosiah, who will continue in his father's footsteps of faith, keeping the commandments and continuing to model humility to the people. They are so fortunate, aren't they? King Benjamin's teachings, however, do not end there. The prophet king, he had a heavenly message to deliver, which was delivered to him by an angel of God. And that message is rejoice and be filled with joy. The time cometh and is not far distant that the Lord omnipotent would come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay. And why should this news cause them to be filled with joy? It's because of everything that Jesus is. Not only is he all-powerful, hence the title omnipotent, but he is humble, long-suffering. He is meek and patient, and he's not condemning. He's full of love, mercy, and grace. And he will come down amongst the children of men, working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, and the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. And he shall cast out devils, or the evil spirits which dwell in the hearts of the children of men. And lo, he shall suffer temptations, and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than a man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. And he will do all of this, Sister Scriptorians. He will create all of this. He will perform all the miracles that he'll perform and suffer all that he will suffer for the sole purpose of bringing salvation to all who will have faith on his name. Even though he will be scourged and then crucified, He will rise the third day doing all of this so that he could provide for us a righteous judgment. So, knowing what we know about our Redeemer, about his characteristics, about his intentions, about his ultimate sacrifice so that we can ultimately have it all, why would we ever not choose him? Well, In contrast to the Lord Omnipotent, we are introduced by King Benjamin to the natural man. And aren't you grateful that an angel of God revealed this truth to King Benjamin? Aren't you grateful that you don't need to move through your life ignorant of who and what the natural man is? The natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever. If the natural man is an enemy to God, he would then be the antithesis to everything that God is 
and to his purposes, he would point us in a different direction than the direction God is pointing us in. He would have us react differently, talk differently, have different priorities, different values, and different uses of our time. In short, the natural man is the pride in all of us. It is the conceit, the competitiveness, the contentiousness, and even the confidence-lacking thoughts and reactions that we have, that we all must temper. King Benjamin teaches that compared to God, the natural man is nothing and is unworthy. Where God comprehends all the natural man doesn't, God is wise. He grants unto us what is right. He is patient and he is good. He is long-suffering towards us and to all his creations. And his matchless power, it's what enables us to partner with him and do what is beyond our natural abilities. But he'll never force himself upon us. We must choose him. We must put off the natural man and choose God. Upon hearing these stirring truths, not only about God, but about their fallen state, the multitude fell to the earth, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them. And I don't feel that the word fear here I don't believe that it means to be afraid. Instead, I believe it represents having great respect, love, and an awareness of their nothingness compared to the matchless power of God. They knew they needed that power from Him, and the Spirit must have given them a hunger for the Lord's power and of the Lord's goodness because they desired it. They knew that they needed to forsake the natural man and move toward God. And what is incredible is that this was a good people, just like you and I. And to follow their example, well, we must undergo that same journey. This is our work to do. And right then and there, not even sparing a minute to go home and start, the multitude put into practice what their prophet King had just taught them. They did it right then. They saw their fallen state. They asked for mercy. They exercised faith on the name of Jesus Christ, asking for his atoning blood to forgive them for their sins and to purify them. They submitted themselves, becoming little children, right there, as they sought for the influence and guidance of their God. And they did this in a meek, humble, patient, and full of love way. They stepped away from sin, And they separated themselves right then and there from the natural man. All the while knowing they needed the Savior's help to do it. And in the process, they became saints. Can you imagine what this looked like high above in the Tower of Benjamin? Looking down at a people who did not hesitate or postpone the process until they got home, but who started right then. They didn't put it off for one minute to seek for a remission of their sins. Can you imagine what that would have felt like right there outside the temple? How strong the spirit would have been, how moving and humbling such a scene would have been before our eyes. The people, as King Benjamin described them, were awakened to their nothingness. 
and he had more to say to them. This life that King Benjamin had invited them to live, the path that he had directed them to be on, was the path of salvation. And through their trust in the Lord and their diligence in keeping the commandments and in continuing in faith, as they repented and forsake sin, as they humbled themselves before God, asked for forgiveness, remembered the goodness of God, committed to call upon Him daily, and stood steadfast in faith of that which is to come, they could rejoice. And then they could expect to be filled with the love of God. They could always retain a remission of their sins. They could grow in the knowledge of God's glory and what is just and true. And what would the daily interactions of such a saint look like? Well, they won't desire to injure one another, but will strive to live peacefully and to give man according to that which is his due. They will properly care for their children feeding them and clothing them and not suffering or act passively when their children transgress the laws of God or even quarrel with one another. They will instead follow through with teaching their children the ways of truth and soberness and how to love one another and how to serve one another, just as Benjamin had taught his son Mosiah to do people who are on the path of salvation, who are striving continually to put off the natural man and who are seeking Jesus, will succor those that need succor and will give their substance unto others who are in need. King Benjamin teaches his people who had just received a remission of their sins right then and there as they were gathered as families in their tents, facing the temple and listening to their prophet king. In fact, the scriptures say in Mosiah 4 verse 4 that the spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come. Ah, aren't those the blessings that we are daily seeking for? To be filled with joy, to receive a remission of our sins, and to have the weight and the burden lifted from our hearts and our shoulders that sin brings to us, and to have peace of conscience. Yes, this is available to us as we daily devote ourselves in faith. But King Benjamin also teaches that in order to retain a remission of our sins, in order to keep it, we must impart of our substance to the poor. Who among us aren't beggars? Even at the beginning of Mosiah 4, we find the people overcome and fall into the earth begging for forgiveness for the stain of the natural man. As we move through mortality, some days rocking it and other days doing it miserably, shouldn't we be found begging for a second chance, for help, for mercy? And if we truly see ourselves as the beggars that we really are, then doesn't that help us to see God's children who are begging for the basics of life? for food and clothing, and to see our duty, our obligation to succor them. I don't understand the inequalities among God's children, why there are those who have a lot and those without. 
those with an abundance of talent and confidence, and those who don't see their worth. Why some are born to good and loving families and others suffer otherwise. But if we truly see how we are all doing mortal, experiencing infirmities in both body and in mind, how we all must serve another because this is how we serve God, how he who has given us everything can never be one-upped by us. We are his unprofitable servants. Therefore, what we risk in his name will be compensated for. How he is omnipotent and how we are fallen. Yet he will sacrifice everything to bring salvation to us. That we can be lifted up by his matchless power. Well, if we truly have these truths sink into our bones then we would be compelled to keep the commandment to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and administer to their relief both spiritually and temporally because we are all beggars. And as I've pondered upon this chapter for the past few weeks, the first week was a struggle. I couldn't think of what to say, so I didn't record a podcast. But then gradually this week, My awareness was awakened, and I'm grateful that I was listening and could put together what I was learning and tie it to what I was studying in the Book of Mormon. Everyone right now is doing hard in some way. I don't know who isn't doing hard. There are those without jobs who are suffering. There are those with jobs who are suffering. Tension in homes have increased because of the social distancing, even leading to an increase of domestic violence in our homes. Some are doing fine with social distancing, and there are others who are feeling detached, amiss, and even depressed. And I'm talking about the healthy. Those who are sick with the virus that many of us are very afraid of right now are doing hard especially. But there are groups who who I'll call the vulnerable that are in need of our succor and our attention. And I don't even claim to know who all those groups are, but I know who does. And he will bring them to our mind as we focus our attention and our desire to succor his children. But I can name a few that have come to my mind through various sources this week. The first one are those children who have been removed from their homes for various reasons and brought into the government system and who have now aged out of the system without being able to be reunified with their families. And yet they're trying to carry on with their life, trying to do adult the best they can. Some may have been attending college, living in dorms, but now find themselves either without a home or if they're fortunate to be able to stay in the dorm, they're finding themselves lonely. Or perhaps without an income because their jobs weren't considered essential. And they have no family to return home to. What are they to do? Or even within our congregation, what about the young adults who don't live at home? They're starting off life, trying to work, maybe going to school, and now they find themselves in a state of uncertainty, in an already uncertain time in their developing life. What succor are they in need of to be able to keep up their hope, 
to trust God and to be obedient to his commandments despite the hardships that they're facing? Or what about the elderly who have no family close by and who may find it difficult to get to a store or have their needs met? What decisions are their family members having to make right now on their behalf in order to make sure that their parents are cared for? What disruption to their lives are they experiencing because of the restrictions that we're all living under? What sucker are they in need of? What support can we give their grown children? Peace of mind? Support? Our time? There's so much to think about and to consider. 2020 has stopped us in our tracks. And it has changed our vision from what we were expecting to something different. How is 2020 serving you? How is it saving you? You didn't know you needed saving. (laughs) But how has our God rescued you from the hectic track you were on? How is he giving you time to adjust your vision? To improve it until it is 2020. How can we do this? Well, personal revelation is a good place to start. As King Benjamin is revealing truth to us, that we are to care for one another, to use what God's given us to improve the life of each other, this good king leaves his people, and therefore us, with some wise counsel as we go about trying to put his words into action. He says, see that these things are done in wisdom and order. And this is going to look different. It's very personal. It's going to look different for everyone. Just keep in mind the principles of self-reliance as you strive to succor others. He counseled his people to not run faster than they have strength. Life isn't a sprint. So take it on step by step, diligently, to win the prize. And he counsels, if you borrowed something from your neighbor, keep your word according to the agreement you had and return it. Don't sin by neglecting to do so, and don't cause the other party to sin by developing hard feelings about the situation. And finally, he counsels, watch yourselves and your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds, and observe the commandments of God. And continue in faith of what you have heard concerning the coming of the Lord. What great counsel for us to remember. Watch your thoughts, sisters. They are what is responsible for filling you with the energy that you carry around, your vibe, if you will. Watch your words because they become your condemnation. And watch your deeds. They can deceive you from accomplishing what you truly desire to accomplish. Sister Scriptorians, this week as you read Mosiah 4, highlight all the blessings that can be yours as you trust in the Lord. Diligently keep His commandments and continue in faith. Do your part and allow God to bless your efforts with His matchless power. Ask Him to help you know how to bless the lives of those in need, both temporally and spiritually. As you do so in wisdom and order, you will retain a remission of your sins.